Let's go. The rap lab. The rap lab. The rap lab. Come see what we cooking up at. The rap lab. The rap lab. The rap lab. Bar for bar, we hooking up with T O Q G, Rev Barber MC, A L S R E to the D on that M I C A to Z. We be the flyers. Hip hop sound broke down to a science. The rap lab. The rap lab. The rap lab. Come see what we cooking up at. The rap lab. The rap lab. The rap lab. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday, so you know what that means. It's all new episode of the Rap Lab Podcast. It's your main man, Candy Man, ALFRE to the D. What up, what up? It's the one and only, the only one, all caps, no spaces, the Rev Bob MC. And it's the good doctor himself, the one and only True G. Just called me the QG, and congratulations and happy anniversary to the Art of War by Bone Thugs and Harmony, which turns 25 years, and the EPMD album, Business Never Personal. That turns into 30 years. Congratulations to both groups. And uh, before we kick off today's episode, not a hip hop related thing, but if you like sports and black culture in general and uh, overall good people and good human beings, we here at the Rap Lab would like to uh, issue a rest in peace to uh, Bill Russell, the 11 time NBA champion with the Boston Celtics, who unfortunately passed away this past weekend. I'm really quite flattered, and that uh, I hope that this is a manifestation of the fact that I tried to live a good life and tried to actually try to contribute to the society. The reason I conducted my life the way I did, it was almost like a family business. It's my family tradition to share our lives with our friends and neighbors. And that's the way I've tried to conduct my life. My father always said, uh, I don't know what you're gonna do when you grow up, but don't do it if you can't do it right. And so, be the best you can at whatever you do. If they're a parent, be kind to the children so that the children will grow up knowing what kindness feels like and they'll be more apt to continue with it. And uh, that is, to me, one of the great expressions of love for country, for family, country, and the world. Great guy, legend. Condolences to his family and everybody that knows him and loves him. This is a big loss for the world. And rest in peace and rest in power to the late great Bill Russell. Word up, Mr. All Rings and not enough fingers for it. He actually got two rings as a coach. Yep, two rings as a coach. And not only 11 NBA rings, but uh, two NCAA rings and an Olympic gold medal. So the man was overall a winner. Champions champion. And he had a lot of heart to play during the time that he did. Yes, sir. Yep. And without further ado, uh, we will throw things to our news correspondent, Mr. Bucky Majors, with the breaking news. I don't care what that intern said. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Oh, excuse me. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bucky Majors from the Rap Lab Podcast, and we have breaking news today. The news is apparently to mace get the ladies, yeah, yeah. To puff drive Mercedes, yeah, yeah. Take hits from the 80s, yeah, yeah. But do it sound so crazy, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, that's not at all that's been taken. Allegedly, there's a rapper by the name of the Notorious B1 who says that this song was taken from the Notorious B.I.G. and Puffy. Well, what do you people think? It sounds a little too similar to me, but I'm going to let the Rap Lab Podcast talk about it. So back to you, QG, Candyman, and Rev Barber. If Puff is taking all these things, who knows what he might take next. Back to you. Fellas, do you, do you mind if I chime in on this first? Go right ahead. Oh. Now, for, first off, I got to say this to all these people. And, and and by the way, cheap plug, there was a Biggie versus Tupac debate that you can go through in the archives of past episodes of this podcast. And a lot of you people who listen to this show slammed me because I said that Biggie was overrated and y'all only loved him and had ranked him so high because he died. Well, this furthers my goddamn point because this guy, Notorious B1, and I don't know how after after all these years this is a thing but i'll get to that later but this guy notorious b1 and the name of this song uh by the way uh, uh qg what is the name of the song oh the name of the song that the notorious b1 did yes yeah it's called big daddy all right so if you listen to big daddy and you listen to what do they call biggie big papa juicy sounds just like big daddy they use the same sample almost the same beat if you listen to this song by the way i did my research this song came out several months before Juicy did. At the time that this song came out, Bigger released Party and Bullshit. So, everybody knows, and Tupac even said it himself, that the, the Biggie from Party and Bullshit sounds like a completely different Biggie on Juicy. He took this guy's flow, he took this guy's look, he took this guy's persona, he just he swaggerjacked him, as, as, as the OGs would say. And I don't appreciate it. Because Biggie came from a time period, Biggie and Puff, where if you were accused of biting, that would be that, that could be the worst possible thing you could ever be accused of in, in hip-hop. On top of that, Tupac said he was a biter. I believe, Rev, you can attest to this. Raekwon said that Big was a biter. Nas has alluded to Big being a biter. So why does this surprise anybody when these people have said this before? And then, and Puffy, shame on you. So it's just it's crazy to me that we have Big Daddy. There's Big Papa. They use the same beat. The flow... And the cadence is almost identical for those of you who have uh, have heard the two songs. And I'm not just hating, but I think that this further tarnishes the legacy uh, of the quote-unquote goat who's in everybody's top five. This type of egregious offense would wouldn't would knock him out of a top ten, in my opinion. Like it's 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 just I don't know. I, I just lost a lot of respect. I already don't have a lot of respect for Puff, and I've lost some respect for Big. Now, the other, the, on the other hand, my other argument, Notorious B1 dropped this song in 93. Why? Early 93. Why didn't he say something when Big was alive? Why now? And I, and I noticed that about society. They like to wait 25, 30, 40 years before they say something. If somebody wronged you, you could have sued them way back when. You, now you're just speaking up in 2022? So, I mean, if it was me and somebody not only stole my song, stole my look, stole my swagger, stole my image and stole my name and was making a lot of money off of it, I would have said something. I'm not going to wait till he dies. And and, and allegedly Notorious B1 in the media, because there's an interview out there, he said that 
he left it alone because Big was dead. But the man swagger jacks you four years before he died. Also, for those of you who think I'm bugging, in the song Juicy, why does Big say from the Mississippi down to the East Coast? This guy, Notorious B1, who, let, who some people think he swagger jacked, including myself, is from Mississippi, you assholes. So all the proof is there. I rest my case. Rev, you want to go ahead? I know you've been waiting to get anything on Biggie, and this is your opportunity. I, I yeah, honestly... Yeah, yeah, you're making me sound like ahead. an opportunist. It, it seems like it, man, because, like, you know, like you said, this guy waited all these years, and Biggie's been dead for a while. Now in 2022, right. Now in 2022, you want to come up and try to gain some notoriety, some five minutes of fame? Like, what's going to happen from here? He made one single. He made one song. That was it. Did he retire from rap because Biggie just, I guess, took the style and, and made it better? And first off, how do you... You're saying that he ripped off his look. Biggie was obviously a heavyset guy. You can't rip off being heavyset now. I mean, if that's the way the genetics are, then that's the way the genetics are. And I don't think that this guy was lyrically as capable as Biggie, as the notorious B.I.G., because he would have more depth. He'd have more songs. He did this one song, and that was it. And Pete Rock actually was the one that brought um, the Juicy Fruit to uh, the bad boy camp, hence why Pete Rock was so upset that uh, Puffy was calling himself uh, the chocolate boy wonder, when that's really Pete Rock's name. But I just don't... I, I don't get it. I mean, this, this might be one of those things where, like, they have the same kind of tone, where, like, Jay-Z... And uh, and Sicario, you know, they sounded similar. And obviously, uh, Sicario didn't really get uh, garner much fame from what he did, though being signed to Angie Martinez. But in this case, I just I don't know. I can't. I don't think it's gonna tarnish Biggie's legacy, and I don't believe Biggie himself would be the one to rip off this guy. Puffy more so was like the the, the guy who, as um our uh, correspondent Bucky had said, he takes hits from the eighties and. He's the one taking all these uh, pieces from different music. It might have been Puffy to have a kind of influence and tell Biggie to rhyme a certain way. But as far as the vocals, you know, there's people who do sound alike out there. It just happens. I feel like these two sound alike. And, you know, this is no bullshit. This B1 character or whatever it is, it, it, it came out. It's, it's, it's registered. His song is out there. And it was out there for all these years. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like this is just some opportunist shit from this cat. And... It's, it's not going to do nothing to Biggie's legacy. Everybody just pretty much has laughed it off at this point. Go ahead, QG. I believe that this won't do anything to Big's legacy. Big is already certified. He's given us two critical acclaimed classics. And for all those that don't remember, Biggie didn't want to do Juicy in the beginning. He didn't want to do the record. He said, this is too soft. My album is hard, and Puff convinced him to do it. So who knows? Maybe Puffy was like, okay, I got this record here. You should say it this way. You should rhyme it this way or incorporate this like this. So this guy, the Notorious B1, who is from Mississippi, as you all alluded, he said he wrote to the song Juicy Fruit, and he released this, this single, off the Mississippi Doughboys album in 1993 on the same day that Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style album came out. And he said he had the name first. He had the song first. He said they was on the radio. I don't remember hearing anything like that during that time. I, I've never heard of this guy until now. 
So I guess people were talking to him about it and said, hey, man, you know, this record, boom, boom, boom. And like you all alluded, many years later, here you come. So it's just it's just crazy. But fighting has been going on for years and years and years. Master P allegedly stole Ice Cream Man from Oh, uh, here we Drew go. Down, no, 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 no. Shut your mouth. I got the floor. What? Drew Down. Shut up. <laughs> Drew Down. Drew Down came out in 19... I respected your talk. Respect mine. Shut up. Drew Down came out in 1993 with... Shut up. Stop laughing. Drew Down came out in 1993 with Ice Cream Man. There was nothing there about Ice Cream Man until 1996 from Master P. Master P came out and stole it. He stole the look. He stole the ice cream truck. The only reason why P got away with it because he had better marketing. The brat was accused of being a biter of Snoop Dogg. They were making fun of the brat in the What Would You Do video, saying that she was a Snoop Dogg carbon copy. Jay Z's been accused of stealing songs and stealing slang from Philadelphia artists, mostly state property. Nas was accused of biting Rakim from Tupac. And like biting has been something that's been going on for years and years and years. Not to say that they did it, but you got other people out there that said that this person stole this, this person stole that. MC Shan accused LL of being a biter for stealing Marley Scratch for the song Rock the Bells. So as far as I'm concerned, it's too similar, no question about it. The song by the notorious B1, along with Juicy. So did they take it? It's it's too similar. It's too close. And but this is not going to tarnish nothing from the notorious B.I.G. Years and years have passed. Big is certified. This is just something that's going to come and go like we've alluded to five minutes of fame, whatever, whatever. And like you said, Candyman, this this guy took forever to come out and say something about it. I don't think this does anything to big. It's a shame that this happened to him. I wish him the best in his endeavors. And he did say that out of respect for Big, he didn't say anything. He's not fat anymore. So he just wanted everybody to know the truth. Well, too little, too late, my man. Well, I wish he would have said something when Big was alive when this first and this whole thing first went down, because that would have been some shit. He had and to change Puff. his name too, if you remember that. When he was Biggie Smalls, he had to change that. And Puff. Puff, uh, he's notorious for hearing. He, you know what it is? I firmly believe Puff heard that record, realized that nobody outside of Mississippi probably knew that record, and said, all right, you know what? We're going to take this and, and, and put our spin on it. Mm-hmm. There goes the marketing, and Puff is a brilliant and, marketer. And by the way, Master P didn't bite nobody, all right? Yes, he's he did. Colonel. He stole the ice cream man from 19, 1993, Green Man from Drew Down. Master P came out with the video in 1996 as the ice cream man. So he stole it from Drew Down. Drew, Drew Down ever wear, Bay. Did, Drew, Drew, did Drew Down ever wear army fatigues? He didn't need army fatigues for the ice cream man. P had a white suit. Drew Down had a white suit in the same video. He stole the concept and he stole the record. Master P had a better marketing plan than Drew Down and he ran with it. That's what happened. Unbelievable. This this is bias. But moving on. It's not bias. You can look it up and see for yourself on YouTube. Ain't no bias. Go to YouTube and you can see it for yourself. Mad people got accused of biting. It's just that you've had a disdain for Biggie for a long time. You even debated disdain. Rev's father. Yes, yes. You you had a huge debate with Rev's father-in-law about the whole thing. There's a whole episode in the archives, ladies and gentlemen, if y'all want to hear it. And at the end of the day, you've been waiting for this. This is more gasoline on the fire. You've been waiting to 
tear down big some more. So this is your opportunity to do it. But it's a dream deferred because it's not happening. Big is still certified and big is still respected by everybody. Well, if this was a game of six degrees of separation, I think I might have lost. But moving on. Yeah. Our topic today, uh, we're going to we're going to discuss a very interesting topic. Uh, I would like to give a shout out to Omar from Rockford, Illinois, for emailing us at Rap Lab Pod. Uh, We had a a poll amongst ourselves and his uh, topic was the winner. We're going to talk about rappers that started off in groups and we're going to talk about if they if the person left the group, should they have stayed? Was a group even necessary for this person to join? And was their career better solo or in the group? So uh, first off, we're going to kick it off with my man Rev Barber MC with his first pick. Give us a rapper that started off in a group, your opinion on them, and uh, did they outshine the group? Should they have never been in the group? What do you think? Well, this is a home game for me because I'm going with MF Doom, who was a part of KMD. And tragically, MF Doom's um, younger brother was... um, uh, he passed away when he had um, supposedly ran into um, the LIE intersection and got hit by a car. They did say that he was under the influence and he did have problems with drugs in the past. And then um, the quartet of uh, KMD had went to a duo where it was MF Doom at the time who was named Zevlov X and his boy Onyx. And before um, dropping their first album, they actually testified before um, Senate on behalf of Rock the Vote, I don't know if you guys remember that. That was a huge uh, campaign mm-hmm. to get, uh, to get people to vote. Yeah. Yeah. So they had lobbied for the motor voter bill and um, to raise uh, political involvement by increasing accessibility of vote- voter registration resources. And unfortunately, KMD's cause, it just fell on deaf ears. It was actually vetoed by uh, George Bush um, Sr., but um, small victory later on, it got signed into law by Bill Clinton. Um, MF Doom always was um, a big force in this group. He was um, one of the main lyricists and um, a producer behind the boards. They, um, If people are not familiar with KMD causing mad destruction, um, think a public enemy with a sense of humor. That's what they were. They were a very uh, righteous group. Spoke a, a lot about um, political issues and issues in the black community, um, just with a tad of humor behind it. Um, MF Doom's always been um, very personable in his rhymes. And then um, when, yeah, his brother Subrock had passed away, I just want to clarify um, his name was Subrock. And then um, after that, they um, released their album and they pretty much were blackballed from the industry where um, Black Bastards, their second album, was supposed to come out. And then um, after Subrock had passed, they got dropped from Elektra the very week after. And Onyx... The week, um, a- the week after the album dropped? Yep, the week after the album dropped, the Elektra Records dropped them. And um, pretty much it, it, it hurt MF Doom, it hurt Onyx, and Onyx went on to do other things. Um, MF Doom pretty much was in limbo, limbo and he um, tried to find himself in the music industry and... And with all the pain of and suffering of losing his brother and the group getting blackballed, it just it created this character with the mask and and he released Operation Doomsday, which was a major success on the underground. He actually released more albums, two credible ones like Take Me to Your Leader, of course, Mad Villainy, mm, Food and the Mouse and the Mask. And he had a huge um, following in the underground, um, especially due to uh, his 
um, stuff on Adult Swim, which was really, really good. If anybody remembers, that's a Cartoon Absolutely. Network, like, yeah, After Hours. <laughs> enjoyed that. Definitely yeah. enjoyed that as a kid. That definitely helped him out a lot and, and brought him pretty much to a prominence of the underground. And I don't want to say that he didn't need the group. It's just unfortunate that his brother passed um, the way he did. Um, and then Onyx, um, the other member, he he was in the group, but he wasn't really, his heart wasn't really there like for real he um mf doom would say so mf doom pretty much was was forced to be a solo artist and this helped him so much and he turned all that pain suffering everything he was going through mentally and just channeled it and became this character actually an abundance of characters because he has so many aliases um with king Ghidorah, metal fingers he just expanded his mind and actually was a good thing for him but um rest in peace to sub rock man and rest in peace of course the mf doom let me can i ask you a question rev yes sir so and and again because when we discussed this before we planned the episode um i didn't know any of this stuff that you had just said um mm -hmm. so i guess what like the because you know mf doom is not really somebody that the, the widespread mainstream audience would know so my my curiosity would lead me to ask did he wear the mask in this time period when he was in the group, or he was that not. like a, or that's yeah. or after he like changed his persona? Right. So when he was in um KMD, he did not wear the mask. After um the KMD split or the tragedy, that's when he started wearing the mask. Gotcha. He was he was anxious at first because he didn't know how it would be received, but um he definitely got a lot of uh props for doing it amongst the underground rappers too because it made him stand out gotcha okay that's good to know you you educated me because I, I didn't know any of this all right uh my main man the true g just call him the qg you're up bro all right we're gonna go to collar park georgia i got two chains on my list and for those that don't know two chains was in a group called the player circle and at the time he was known as titty boy for you disturbing the peace fans Player Circle is a backronym, which means preparing legal assets for years from A to Z. And they released an independent album. It was him and his partner, Dollar Boy. So you got Titty Boy, which is two chains, and you got Dollar Boy. And they met Ludacris, who's also from Georgia. And they lived in the same apartment complex. At the time, Ludacris was a DJ, DJ Lover Lover. And they were always around each other. And DJ Lover Lover, he loved their music. He was doing music with them, and he was playing their records. And then DJ Lover Lover went on to become Ludacris. Ludacris got a deal with Def Jam. He created the label Disturbing the Peace, and he reached out to the player circle, gave them a record deal, their debut album, Supply and Demand, which led to the lead single in 2007, Duffel Bag Boy, featuring Lil Wayne. And, you know, they performed at the BET Awards, and it was a success. You know, the group was a success. And then they went on to release Flight 360, The Takeoff, in 2009. But the year later, Titty Boy, he felt that he wanted his career to go higher. And the only way he could do that is by going solo. And Ludacris didn't want to let him go, but he let him go. And at the time when he was Titty Boy, he was getting a lot of criticism from the public because of the name. So in 2011, he decided to change it to two chains. He said it was more family friendly. And he released his mixtape called True Religion. T-R-U-R-E-L-R-E-A-L, excuse me, 
I-G-I-O-N, which was his first mixtape. And it charted on Billboard. And at that time, after that, he started making guest appearances. He appeared on Kanye West's song, Mercy. And he appeared on Nicki Minaj's song, Bees in the Trap. When you go solo, this is the way that you make your mark. You appear on these high-profile artist records. And then in 2012, he uh, released Based on a True Story, T-R-U Story. And the lead single was No Lie, featuring Drake. And that charted. And he just started to knock him out, knock him out, knock him out. He, on, on a Ciara record called Sweat. And then, you know, based on a true story, you know, it sold 147,000 copies in the first week. And then all of a sudden he gets nominated for uh, awards. He appeared at the MTV Video Music Awards with Wayne to, to do some performances. And he was nominated for 13 BET Hip Hop Awards. And then he earned the Source Man of the Year. He got a collaborative endeavor with Adidas. He got a commercial with Beats by Dre. Nominated for three Grammys, including Best Rap Album. And then fast forward, you know, you got Boats 2. You got Me Time. You got Collar Grove. You got Pretty Girls Like Trap Music. You got Rapper Go to the League because he used to play basketball. So it worked out great for him. It was a great idea. He also came out with So Help Me God and Dope Don't Sell Itself. Most recently, if you all remember, he had a versus against Rick Ross. He's been on Celebrity Family Feud. You know, 2 Chains has done real, 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 real well for himself. So going solo was the best move for him in his career. So shout out to 2 Chains. Well, he definitely left Dollar Boy behind because he's nowhere to be found. Well, um, to, you know, let you know about that. You know, there was uh, some tragedy uh, in the family involving involving Dollar Boy and, um, you know, his somebody in his family was real sick. I want to say it was it was at the time, you know, his mom was real sick. This is what hesitated Dollar Boy to even signing a deal. He wanted to take care of his mother first, get her health and strength back. And then he signed with Disturbing the Peace. Two Chains, a.k.a. Titty Boy, he signed first. Dollar Boy was hesitant, but, you know, once that happened and, you know, 2 Chains decided to go his own way, it was, it was, it wasn't beef. It was, it was, it was a friendly departure. Hey, go ahead, do you. And it worked out good for him. All right. So I guess it's on me now. And, uh, I got to go home for this one. Like, like Rev said, his first pick was, uh, was, a uh, was a home game. So this one is going to be a home game for me. Uh, I'm going to bring up somebody. We talk about his brother, his two of his brothers a lot on this show, jokingly. But uh, we hardly ever talk about him. I'm talking about my man C. Murder. So for those of y'all who don't know, and even those of y'all who do, C. Murder started off in a group. Started off in, uh, ironically, it's funny, you you talked about uh, 2 Chains, uh, QG, uh, spelling true, T-R-U. But uh, uh, C. Murder started off in true, which was an acronym for the Real Untouchables. Um, at the time, the the group was in California. It was uh, Master P, Silk the Shocker, Big Ed, Mr. Servon, Mia X, and a bunch of other people. Uh, and uh, P's wife, Sonia C, and C Murder was in the group. And at first, C Murder, he, he kept, Master P always kept mentioning C Murder by name. He and Silk always mentioning C Murder by name, but C Murder never rapped. Finally, on, um, on, the, on, on the album True, their self-titled album from 1995, 
which was their first album on Pri- Priority Records when Priority picked up No Limit. See, Murder finally uh, started getting verses. Uh, his breakout verse was uh, Mobbing Through My Hood on that album where he first rapped for the first time to the public. Uh, then he uh, did some guest verses on Masterpiece 99 Ways to Die and so on and so forth. Uh, his breakout performance didn't come until uh, uh, the True album in uh, 1997 called True to the Game, uh, where Sea Murder was all over that, and then he eventually uh, built up a following. However, it, when somebody asked the question, well, uh, was his solo career better than his uh, career in the group? I would say so. Um Sea Murder has given us uh and this is a beat that you hear in sporting arenas throughout th- still to this day 22 years later but uh Sea Murder teamed up with Snoop for Down for My Niggas which is a, was a popular song. Uh he also was on the remix to Locked Up by Akon. Um I guess moderate success. I mean, you'd have to be a real no limit fan or hardcore hip hop head to to know his to know both the group and C Murder's individual catalog, but um, I think C Murder going solo uh, was a was was a good look. Of course, uh, you know he, he's in he's in prison now. By the way, hashtag free C Murder or free Corey Miller. But um, but yeah, I think I think C I think the thing that held C down in his career was you know people say oh he's only dropping albums because he's on his brother's record label. Because outside of No Limit, the only other label he was ever on was True Records, which was his own label. But um, Seymour had a couple of couple of couple of small hits. Um, I, oh, and he was on uh, Rev's favorite No Limit song, uh, Wobble Wobble. So oh, there's God. that. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, but uh, individually, C- C's got a couple of plaques. He's got uh, two platinum plaques and a gold plaque. So. I mean, he does have individual success, no matter which way you look at it. But uh, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's an interesting pick to spotlight as somebody who started out in a group. I did, I, I do, I will say this: I don't think he ever became a household name like, like his older brother is, is two, is two brothers. But you know, Master P was the leader of the group. He was the face of the label, and Silk the Shocker was marketed as like, you know, for the ladies for the most part. Uh, running around doing music videos with Maya and Montel Jordan. So you couldn't really market a guy. Well, Hurt C Murder, you couldn't market a guy with the name Murder in his name all that well. But, you know, I, I do think he's an interesting pick for this type of conversation. He's an interesting pick. Do you agree what Masterpiece said in the BET docuseries that P said that C Murder stayed too much in the hood like he tried to get him out of there and he tried to get him in other locations like yo you don't gotta be down here anymore you don't have to live that life anymore and see murder himself said hey this is what we rap about i gotta stay true to it so how do you feel about that candy man who do you agree with i agree with p is that's 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 what happens when uh you you guys who want to live live their live their persona i mean for c murder it wasn't a persona I, I don't know if you if you got either of you two have seen it, but he was on an episode of MTV Cribs. They go to the suburbs in his mansion and then he takes the MTV Cribs crew to his quote unquote other crib. He's still had an apartment in the projects. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And he wouldn't give that apartment up for anything. And I'm like, bro, you're you're like a multimillionaire. What are you still doing hanging out in the projects with the with the with the goons? He wanted to be so, a part but, of the action. 
and get inspiration. But but the thing is, he he never see. I I respect C Murder in a way that even though it was foolish, he didn't want to turn his back on his people, and I get that. He never wanted to forget where he came from, but at the same time, like I've said time and time on this show again, the hood don't love nobody because either the hood is going to kill you or get you in jail. And even though I don't believe he did it, look where C murder is now. So, but I, I do think that him not wanting to leave the hood behind contributed to his downfall. Cause his, his, his run to fame didn't last long right? because of his legal issues. So that's that. But, um, Rev, you're you're up you're up to the plate next. No doubt. So I'm going with my namesake here, Mr. Eric Sermon. He's always been a great producer. He's, I feel like he was always destined for success. EPMD just put him out there also as a rapper, but he was definitely behind the boards. He wasn't really too focused on the business side of things, and that contributed to the split between him and uh, Paris Smith. Um, streets tell me that Russell Simmons had a little something to do with that too, getting in uh, Eric Sermon's ear. And he kind of um, didn't really trust Russell Simmons too much, hence why Keith Murray was on Jive Records and not Def Jam, though he did get Redman in on Def Jam. But after the split, uh, Mr. E Double focused more on his solo acts, on his solo um, project, which um, actually was really dope, um, Double or Nothing, because he had already released No Pressure, but he still was with EPMD. But Double or Nothing was one of my favorite joints out of his whole catalog. And... Later on, he went to release Eric Onassis, Music, of course, with that Marvin Gaye sample, React, and Chilltown, New York. And I feel like him being a producer, they're more likely to have longevity in this game than rappers. Because he's done production for a lot of artists. Dodds Effects, In Vogue, SWV, of course, Keith Murray and Redman, Method Man, LL Cool J, Jay-Z, and even Beyonce. And he peaked at number two on the R&B charts with Music. And... React as well. React actually came in on number 36 on a Billboard 100. So he's critically acclaimed. And as far as if he's better off without the group, I can't really say that because EPMD are legends. Everybody has heard an EPMD song at least once in their life. That They are world-renowned. They Their catalog is deep to the fullest. But as far as him going solo, I feel like, like I said, it just like adds to his um, longevity in this game. Because as a producer, you get to work with multiple artists and you just do more for your legacy. So I don't think that it's 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 either or worse or better that he left. It, it was just him just being more tenured in this game. And of course, you know, we all love EPMD, but when it's time, it's time. And they um, they re they relink later down the years anyway and um, released another project. But shout out to Eric Sermon, man. One of my favorites. Can I can I ask you a burning question in, that that's that's resonated inside of me? Yeah, go ahead. Do you believe the chief of police about the uh, him jumping out the window? No, about how he uh, he was the one that robbed Parrish back in the this day. guy. This guy <laughs> jumping out of the window, or Rev? Oh, the beef DVD thing. Yep. Again. <laughs> again and listen, again you, and you, again you, and again. He always li- li- listen. every single. Listen, you, you heard what he said. I don't care what he said. Stupid. Why do you keep bringing it, <laughs> bringing it up over and over? It's outdated and done. Forget I'm, that I'm here strictly for the question, sir. You, you, uh-huh. you, really, you really don't like 
ending things. You like bringing up the stuff that happened way back when they moved on from there. We've watched them perform at the Auto Rap Tour. So leave that chief of police and all that nonsense alone. It's over. I just want to get Rev's opinion. We never really talked about it. Oh, come on. Yes, we have talked about it too many times. But go ahead, Rev. Answer his question if you want to. Well, Eric Sermon was from the streets, believe it or not. Um, And Parrish is more on the business side of things. More so, I just, when people come out and say things like that, especially pertaining to hip-hop, when they really have no place in this game, I look at them like they're instigating. Um, I don't want to say I necessarily don't believe um, the chief of police because their their beef was was street. It, it was something that, honestly, it's not even our business for real because there was a lot going on behind the scenes, but... I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Like I said, I, I don't really want to take the opinions of someone outside of hip hop, though he is the chief of police. But I feel like he kind of was milking his platform too on the DVD, especially QD three, who knows nothing about beef. Right. Right. Yeah. But I know that's Fair enough. Bible. He loves um the beef series. Hey man, that's that's when I when I when I first uh when I first started learning about hip hop and what it really was. Those those first three DVDs helped a lot, man. But um, no, on a serious matter though, um, and you had you had said it earlier when you was taught when you had brought it up, but you said you really can't say if his career, his solo career, was better than the group because the group is what it's not like he was. Uh, what's a good example? It's not like he was Young Jeezy in USDA where he was playing the background and all of a sudden they gave him a solo album and he just blew up. Like you know, like the group. You mean boys he, in the hood. He, I mean, Boys in the Hood, sorry. Um, so he shined he, he shined in EPMD, and that's what led to, to him having the solo career. Right. So, I mean, and it, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. I, I don't own any of Eric Sermon's solo work, but I got a plenty of EPMD. But yeah, so, nah, solo Eric work Sermon's really a, good, too. Eric yeah, Masters is pretty good, too. His solo work's okay. I will, yeah. I will I will admit, Rev, that Marvin Gaye sample for music, that was so clean the way he did that though. Yeah, that's a worldwide song right there, bro. You can hear that anywhere. It's such a vibe. For sure. And then when oh. EPMD broke up, you saw they had two different versions. You had the hit squad, you had the deaf squad. Look who look who Eric got to work with. He got to work with Red and Keith. While Parrish got to work with Das Effects K Solo. So Eric being able to branch out and, and produce Red Man, produce Keith Murray. It helped out Eric and established himself, not just as a producer, but, you know, he, he's also tight with the pen and he got to work with other artists and produce for them as well. So it increased his clientele, not only as a rapper, but as a producer. So it worked out for Eric. I feel like Eric, the MC, was better in EPMD, but Eric, the producer, was better off on his own. That's an interesting take. Yeah. I, I'll, even, I'll even further is, you. It's different. I'll even further you one more, Rev, and tell me if you agree with me or not. But between Eric and Parrish with the two solo careers, I think Eric Sermon blows PMD out of the water when it comes to solo careers. Absolutely. But you also got to remember Eric had a bigger machine behind him. And I'm not trying to, you know, give no kind of no, uh, that's more correct. Credit. But like PMD was cool, but I heard that PMD album. Yeah. And it, I, I, business, I have it. Yeah, I personally enjoy Eric Sermon's work um, more, solo-wise more than I do Parrish. And that's not taking away from PMD the MC either, because he's not a dope at all. MC. Yes, he is. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, QG, it's uh, your second pick. 
All right. We're going to stay with Long Island. I'm go with Buster Rhymes. Former member mm. of the New School. And for all you football fans out there, you guys know where Buster Rhymes got his name from? For where? I just I just read about it too. Yeah, yes, from a football player. Chuck D gave yes. Chuck D gave uh Buster Rhymes his name. It's from George Buster Rhymes. He played for the NFL and the CFL. So yep. this is this is all from Chuck D, who's also a Long Island native. Moving moving forward, Buster Rhymes was part of a group called Leaders of the New School with Charlie Brown and Dinko D. And they were also part of the Native Tongue Crew, which also has a tribe called Quest de la Soul, Queen of Teeth, and so on. So, Chuck D gave these guys their names. You know, that was their big break. They were an opening act for Public Enemy. Then they came with their debut, A Future Without a Past, with that single, Just Another Case of That OPTA. They were signed to Electra Records. And in the mix of that, you started to see a rift. And you saw that firsthand on Yo! MTV Raps. Broke up in front of the whole world. The group broke up right there with Fab Fab Freddy and the camera and everything right there. It was the popularity of Busta Rhymes that started to increase. You even started to see that on the Arsenio Hall show. There was something special about Busta, his style, the way he performed. He, he, He had more. There was something more with him. And in 1992, he just went crazy with the guest appearances. Like I alluded to earlier, when you want to establish yourself as a solo act and you're out of a group, you make guest appearances. So he appeared on Big Daddy Kane records and other Bad Creation records. He appeared on a big record that didn't even come out. He appeared on a brand Nubian record. And obviously, you know, people talk about Scenario, which also did have the group. It did have leaders of the new school, but people talk about Buster Rhymes verse like it 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 stole the show, which added rah, more. Rah, like a I mean, dragon. it just it just it just it just made him a superstar, and he just appeared on everything. He appeared on you know in the in the movie Who's the Man, which came out in 1993. He appeared on a tribe called Quest Midnight Marauders. I need to point out that he said it. Hey, I'm down with the tribe. I want to be a member of the group. Like he, he felt, yo, let me let me join y'all. If y'all giving me good looks, I want to be a part of this. And Q-Tip, who's one of his closest friends, he's like, yo, bro, this is your chance to establish yourself as a solo act. You have a gift. And in the meantime, in between time, he was appearing in movies. He was in he was in Strapped. He was in Higher Learning. All this was going on while he was working on his debut album. And hey. When The Coming came out in 1995 with Wuha, got you all in check, it was over after that. It was just full speed ahead. And when Disaster Strikes, which is a, which is a great album, ELE, Extinction Level Event, like the hits just kept knocking out over and over and over and over and over. Uh, a couple years back, the group did reunite. They did do some shows together. It took time to, you know, to heal and, and, and get over what was going on, but all of them are in a great place right now, and obviously Busta Rhymes is a certified legend. I still say he's the greatest hip-hop performer ever. That man puts on a show when he's out there on that stage. You do not want to see Busta on that stage, because he'll tear it down. So, take your pick with, with all the great albums, and we alluded to in the archives, you know, with you know with the albums, you know, we did a whole review on Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God, which Rev touted as 
one of the best albums, if not the best album of 2020. So, you know, yeah, yeah. So Busta Rhymes, excellent move for him. Can't go wrong with going solo. You know what's funny to think about? He accomplished more solo than all of the other members of the group combined. Yeah, that's right. No diss to Charlie or Dinko. Love you guys. Love that first album. But what Bus was able to do, and he also had good people behind him. Q-Tip was there with him. Q-Tip actually told him to stop yelling on records and actually, you know, start, you know, rhyming regular and just show your skills. And he listened to him. And it worked out for Bus. I mean, come on. He got Janet Jackson under his belt. You know what I mean? He's he's got all these different records and accolades and awards. Like from 1996 to 2020, look at the resume, look at the timeline, look at all the singles and the hits. Buster could do no wrong. Let me let me ask you: Do you think that MTV was wrong to air the footage of 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 them bickering? Because if you remember, they're with Fab Five Freddy. They're walking around outside, and Buster, I, I believe it was Buster who asked. Could you give us a minute? And then you just see them arguing in the background. It was Buster, yeah. I, Yo MTV Raps was very cutting edge at the time with the with the interviews and everything that they were doing. And they just saw them arguing. And, and they just up and zoomed in on them. And then that's when Buster was like, yo, give us a minute. So controversy, it's right then and there. You show it to the public. And then once it was announced officially that the group broke up, that's when, you know, things just kind of went where it went. But that's just what they were doing. MTV at the time, you know, it it was a report. So they were doing their job. They were doing their job. And it's crazy how that happened right then and there. Like nobody expected to see that. Right. Okay. All right, I guess it's uh, I guess it's up to me. Still gonna go with another home game here. Uh, I'm going with my man Wheezy, baby. So um, as everybody knows, or maybe you don't know, uh, Lil Wayne started off in a group, the Hot Boys, with BG, Turk, and Juvenile. And it's it's so funny to me because I want to call the if I had to compare it to anything, right? You ever just watch sports? And you see this guy, he's on he's on a team, and the team is successful, but he's not the number one or two option on the team. But then when the team goes through rebuilding and they get good again, he's they 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 gut the team out. He's the only guy left that was that was on the championship roster, and now he's become the guy. When previously he was just a part of the system. So what I mean by that is Lil Wayne wasn't the first or second. Uh, in terms of the pecking order of Cash Money Records or the Hot Boys at that time. Uh, the Hot Boys were around from 97 to 2001. Um, I would say Juvenile was a superstar. BG was the number two. And Lil Wayne was on the depth chart number three. Um, I would want to say Lil Wayne became, he was the Tom Brady of the group. For those of y'all who know football, Drew Bledsoe was the guy for the New England Patriots. Finally, when he moved on and, and went to the, to the Buffalo Bills, Tom Brady got to, got a chance to become the regular every game starter and became the greatest ever. All of them Super Bowl wins. So, uh, and it's funny because if you listen to Lil Wayne, I mean, obviously he was a teenager when he was in the Hot Boys, but if you listen to him from from his po- his post Hot Boys career to his Hot Boys career, 
it's like you're listening to two totally different people. Like his skill set was just far different. Um, I feel like he matured, and I hate to say this because I love Juvenile and BG. BG is my favorite member of the group, but Lil Wayne, what he accomplished solo far outweighs what not only Turk Juvenile and BG have accomplished together, but you could even throw the whole roster. Because if you want to throw the big timers in there, like none of them accomplished a fraction of, of, of what Wayne did. Of course, we've documented it on this show many times. Lil Wayne had that incredible stretch run uh, from, I would want to say, from Jay-Z's quote-unquote retirement all the way up until he went, to, he went to jail on a gun charge at Rikers in like 2010. So Lil Wayne had a six-year run where he was on everything. Everything he touched charted and and, and turned hot, no pun intended. So... Um, yeah, out of the whole group, uh, Juvenile and BG, they don't, they don't have Grammys, they don't have all these accolades, yeah, the, the only thing that they could touch Wayne in is platinum albums, but, you know, Wayne, I believe Wayne was the highest selling artist of that decade, so, I mean, the, the accolades speak for itself, and the funny thing is, like, like you mentioned, QG, um, Busta Rhymes, there, there was tension in the group, and it forced to split. Right. So 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 that's how he went solo or or like um, or like or like Rev mentioned, um, you know, thing, things with, uh, with MF Doom just it just changed organically over time. But Wayne going solo was because of bad business practices with with the rest of the group. All the other three members of the Odd Boys say they cash money, owe them money. That's why they left. And Wayne was the only one to stay on the team. So, you know, it was it was created out of necessity because the other three members wanted out. And I guess Wayne was good with where he was at. So, you know, it, it, it's 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 kind of funny how he was forced to go solo. But he made it. Work. And then uh, he made it work. And Wayne is very influential. And then look, what, and even though Wayne is not as hot as he he's not hot now, like he was 10 years ago. But even when he right before he cooled off, look what he left rap world with. He introduced the rap world to Nicki Minaj and Drake and say what you want about either of those, either of those two, but th- they too have become highly successful artists. Correct. So the, the little Wayne success tree, technically Drake and, uh, Drake and Nicki Minaj are products of the hot boys family tree, but you know, and say what you want about Wayne. I know we've talked about things that he has said that don't make sense in his rhymes. And, uh, some may not like his rhyme style or his music, but you know, um, I, he's a he's a shining example of a guy who, you know, he some people and it's funny because some people you talk to, they don't even know about Hot Boys era Wayne. I've spoke to plenty of people who they know Lil Wayne from the Carter on. They don't know anything about Lil Wayne from before the Carter two. And it's funny because they start off at the Carter two and don't even go and listen to the first Carter. But you know, there are people out there who would never know that that Wayne started off in a group, which is which is crazy to me. But that also goes to show you people don't do their homework. But mm-hmm. I think Lil Wayne is also a good fit for this type of this type of conversation. Agree. Wayne deserves every accolade he got. He, he like you said, the resume speaks for itself. The sales, the awards. Wayne has done it all. He's certified. He could he could stop my making man, music right now and he'll be okay. My man went from the block is hot, the block is hot, hot, hot to fireman coming to wee 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 like a cop car. Mm-hmm. 
plenty of plenty of iterations of Wayne. Yep. Shout All right, Rev. Is up is on you, Rev. All right, going back to Queens with this, going my man Farrell Monch. Farrell uh, Monch was a part of a group called Organized Confusion. They um, released a couple of albums, actually three albums, before he went solo. The first two got a lot of critical acclaim. The third one was more of a, a storytelling concept album, but this was an amical split. Farrell was just more upset that they weren't getting any kind of recognition on the charts or as far as... Uh, not um promotion because he was saying he didn't want to blame the lack of promotion because he actually um you know heard a lot of good things about the first two albums so um he just wanted to um go solo with the blessings of um his rhyme partner and um he uh released the first album internal affairs which had um simon says which is a dope single used to be played in every club everywhere city to city (laughs) and um He's definitely uh, a very influential MC. Talib Kweli actually um, mentions that Farrell Mantra was one of his biggest influences. And you could tell, like, with the way they rhyme, too. He definitely shouted him out on his first album, too. Um, there was a bidding war, too, with uh, Shady Records, Bad Boy, and SRC, where he wound up signing with um, SRC. That's the Rifkin's company. And um, that actually was for um, the album We Are Renegades, War dope album he also released um desire before that and then um he did ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder which is a dope album i feel like um farrell Monch definitely reached more success being out of the group rather than when he was in the group and like i said the split was amicable amicable so there was no beef no tension they've actually done a couple records together and um they um were trying to do another um album together and they wanted to include OC, but um, Prince Poe, who um, is the other member of Organized Confusion, had um, a couple of issues with OC, so the reunion um, kind of fell flat. But shout out to Farrell Monch, man. Keep banging them hits, man. Definitely a dope MC. I like he uh, intertwines like rock music with his um, with what he does. Oh yeah, I, I mean, when it comes to lyrics, the way he's able to put his words together and just do it so, so unique. He he even ghost wrote a lot of songs for a lot of artists like if you if anybody out there check the credits you know what i mean i remember he wrote a song called future for p diddy on the press play album and you can hear p diddy kind of rhyme in the rhyme pattern of pharaoh Monch, and that that kind of let me further know who wrote the record so pharaoh is a brilliant 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 writer brilliant rapper and like you said simon says Anytime you heard that, dun, 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 you know the party was going to get started. So he said, Simon says, get the, everybody, get the, uh, throw your hands in. Like, anytime you heard that record, man, it, it was time, man. So, yeah, salute to Pharaoh, man. That That's a real good pick, man. Pharaoh is a dope, dope rapper. He's a good rapper. I like that pick, Rev, because a lot of, a lot of, I, I, I can't tell you the last time I heard it. I heard uh, Farrell Monch's name come out of somebody's mouth in a rap discussion. Oh, yeah. He's super dope, man. Definitely a, a big influence on a lot of the conscious rappers, too. Oh, for sure. And uh, I just want to shout out EA Sports because uh, back in the days of Madden 06 and NBA Live 05, they had Farrell Monch on their soundtracks. Yeah, he deserves a lot more credit, man. He deserves a lot more credit for for his stuff. You know, definitely uh, that PTSD album that you mentioned, Rev, is crazy. That We Are Renegades album is super crazy, too. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, Q. Uh, it's 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 on you. All right. Pick number three. All right. Well, you know this guy was coming somehow, some way. Going straight to the West Coast. We're going with my guy. This is one of my one of my heroes. This is Ice Cube. And prior to NWA, everybody knows the story. He was in a group called CIA in 1986 called uh, CIA. And CIA stands for Crew in Action. And that was him and Sir Jinx. Sir Jinx is the cousin of Dr. Dre. And Dr. Dre was in the world-class wrecking crew with Yella. So that's how that tied in together. And Dre started working with Cube. And, you know, Dre was the producer. Cube was the rhyme writer. And Easy E was always around. Him and him and uh, Dr. Dre was cool, and Cube was gonna be the artist. And they said, "All right, so we gonna form a group. You know, we we got a group called N.W.A." In the beginning, Cube as the rhyme writer, he wrote a song called "Boys in the Hood," and it was for a group called HBO, Homeboys Only. It's a group from New York. So they don't know nothing about what Cube is talking about in the song Boys in the Hood about six fours and Chevy Impalas and all this other stuff. So they thought the song was whack. They got the studio time. They got the song. So Dre convinced Easy E to rap it. He never rapped before. So it was like, what am I doing here? So he wrote the song. Song blows up. And that was the first hit. Then Jerry Heller comes in. He's the manager of NWA. And Easy comes with a solo album. Easy does it. Cube wrote the majority of that album, and he only got thirty-two thousand dollars. And this was this was in the contract. You know what I mean? Now they're not a, an official group yet. N.W.A. Now you got M.C. Ren coming in, and you got all these guys coming in here. And Jerry Heller comes with this contract, and he's like, "Okay, we got seventy-five thousand dollars." member of the group here's the contract once you sign it you'll be an official group part of ruthless records the controversy comes with what cube stated in the interview nwa created easy e's first album but easy e god bless the dead he touted it as his solo album so he's thinking i'm gonna keep all the money from this album and then when nwa does does a group album i get my cut of that money too so Cube wasn't getting paid what he was supposed to be getting paid as a writer. So he says, we eating Burger King and Easy E's eating lobster and Jerry L is eating lobster. Cube is still living at his mom and pop's crib and everything like that. So it's like, what's going on here? So Cube gets the contract, the new contract, and he's like, I want to take this to a lawyer. Jerry Heller starts going off like, why you want to do that? He's like, I, w- I want to take it to a lawyer to make sure that it was right. Everybody signs the contract except for Cube. So now Cube is the problem child. Cube is giving the issues. Cube was smart. You don't just sign right away. You want to make sure that it was good. So Cube wasn't getting paid when he was supposed to be getting paid. The contract wasn't right. So he's like, yo, I'm out. I'm out. He gets down with Public Enemy. We get back to Public And Public Enemy take Cube under their wing. Cube is recording his solo album in New York. And the best way, like I've stated a thousand times, the best way you want to establish yourself as a solo act is appear on a prominent record. Burn Hollywood Burn comes out for the Fear of a Black Planet album. Ice Cube is on it. This was Public Enemy's idea. This will establish Cube as a solo artist. And then America's Most Wanted comes out. 
It went gold in two weeks, eventually going platinum. It was produced predominantly by the Bomb Squad and Sir Jinx. Then he came with Death Certificate, which is a, one of my favorite Cube albums, which is a certified classic. And what more can you say? You know, he turned into acting with Boys in the Hood and then Friday, and then he kept dropping records. So Predator, Lethal Injection, War and Peace, Volume 1, Volume 2, Left Now, Cry Later, Raw Footage, I Am the West, Everything's Corrupt. Even now, currently, with Mount Westmore, with E-42 Short and Snoop Dogg. Like, what more could you say about Ice Cube? It was the best move for Ice Cube. When he left NWA, NWA was never the same again. They lost their power. They lost their voice. They lost their political aspect. So Cube going solo was the smartest decision Cube ever made. So certified legend, icon, salute to Ice Cube. You know what's funny? You bring up that he wrote uh, most of Easy es uh, solo album. If you look at the cover of Easy Does It, who, who's standing behind Easy in the background? Exactly. Exactly. On Cube the is right cover. there. Right there. You know, th- that's why it was a problem because Easy E kept all the money from that album. And Cube was like, NWA did that whole record together. Nobody got a cut of that money except for Easy. And then when Straight Out of Compton came out, which is a certified classic, Easy E got a cut of that. And then the money was distributed the way it was distributed. And that was it. So it was like, where's the rest of the money? He wasn't getting paid when he was supposed to be getting paid. And he tried to put everybody else on like, yo, y'all got to check these contracts. Eventually, the, you know, the group broke up and Cube was right. Eventually, Dre followed suit and the rest is history. I got to ask you the hard hitting question, though. Mm-hmm. So up until now, all the picks that we have all picked, we can argue, we can comfortably say had the best solo career out of anybody else in their group. However... This is going to be tough because between Dre and Cube, who do you think had the better solo career? Ice Cube. And I what say, that, you say that? I, I say that because Dre himself said that he wasn't designed to be a rapper. He's a he's a he's 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 an awesome producer, great teacher. He gives people you know the opportunity to record. He shapes artists. There'd be no Snoop Dogg if there was no Dre. There'd be no Eminem where he is without Dre and all these other artists. Dre said it himself. He didn't want to be on any songs on The Chronic. He was just going to produce. He had to be convinced to do to do the records. So what I'm saying is when it comes to as a rapper and consistent with albums, because Dre doesn't have that many albums, Cube, to his credit, he has a debut from 1990 all the way to 2018 so as far as being consistent with the albums and getting credit for being a writer and being a rapper and having quotables i gotta go with ice cube on that one as far as a solo career in that regard but but playing devil's advocate dr dre mainstream wise in the world i think is bigger than cube wouldn't you say well well what what records are you talking about not even just the records, the the headphones. Well, well, the obviously, owner, the, well, obviously business, yeah. But 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 you can't but but you can't sleep on QB as far as all the other stuff Sup- he's done. As Sup- far as the Super movies Bowl that he's Q- as far as the movies Cube's, and stuff that he's given and and Cube Vision Cube, with his film production company. Cube Cube has never been in a Super Bowl halftime show, bro. Yes, I know Cube has never been in, in a Super Bowl halftime show. However, that was a business move. Who paid for that? Who was behind it? Pepsi? 
Yes, Pepsi was behind. Yeah, it. yeah, Pepsi made the deal with Drake, and again, and and also because of having Jimmy Iovine behind it. Cube didn't have a Jimmy Iovine. Dre had a Jimmy Iovine. So all them Dre beats and everything like that. How you think Dre got it? From a business also, standpoint, from a business standpoint, you could give it to Dre. But if we're talking strictly hip hop and a better solo career, I'm going with Cube. Also, I just want to bring up, so when Rev picked Eric Sermon, to his point, he, uh, he mentioned the production. Even though Dre's not rapping, look at the, the, I mean, unless we're just counting strictly being a rapper, you know, Dre, Dre, Dre was, Dre's been producing way more than he's been making his own songs. I'm going with strictly a rapper and as a writer and getting credit for being a rapper and, and, and quotables. That's where I'm going. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Okay. I just had to ask that question because I don't think no anybody's problem. ever asked that before. Yeah, no problem. Um, all right, Rev. You're, you're, oh, no, wait, no, it's on me. Sorry. Yeah, you got to go. <laughs> um, oof. All right. Uh, going to go to, going to go to Brooklyn for this one. Uh, I'm going, he, the man just dropped the album. It's actually a pretty good album. You need to go check that out. Uh, Joey Badass, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and this is this is kind of a sad story for me because Joey Badass, of course, started with Pro Era. So uh, back and, and it's funny to me because Pro Era became a thing in, in 2012, just 10 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And, you know, they, these folks are all grown now. But um, yeah, Joey Badass, Capital Steez, uh, uh, Nick Caution, Kirk Knight, uh, Chuck Stranger, CJ Fly. And, and I can keep going on and on. Diamond Lewis and Ala Soul and Dirty Sanchez and, and the rest of these guys and Rockamouth and, you know, and Pro Era, everybody, when Pro Era first came out on the scene, everybody was like, oh, they're a throwback to 90s hip hop. They're a throwback to boom bap. Uh, people were saying that Pro Era was going to bring New York City back because not for nothing at the time, you know, New York wasn't really being represented in hip hop, uh, Brooklyn specifically. Um... And I know I and disclaimer, I know I say mixtapes don't count, but you can't tell the story of Pro Era without two mixtapes. Three mixtapes, actually. So um, you know, Joey Badass in February of 2012 burst on the scene, 1999, the mixtape. Classic mixtape. I wish I could count it towards things Joey have done, but like I said, mixtapes don't count with the candy man. But um, yeah, 1999 classic mixtape, Survival Tactics, one of the hardest songs I've ever heard. Uh him and Capital Steez. Um, then, uh, Pro Era, uh, later that year in December, well, rewind, uh, later that year, Capital Steve's in April drops, uh, American Corruption. That mixtape was even crazier than Joey's 1999. And then the group tape, Pete the Apocalypse comes out a couple days before Christmas in 2012. And, um, yeah, man, um, it's, 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 it's crazy to think about the, the series of events because that, you know, Christmas Day 2012, I uh, always remember that because that's the day that Capital Steve's um, committed suicide. And I think, honestly, that's what sunk the group. Because um, prior to that, Pro Era was appearing on all of their, Pro Era was on, on all of each other's stuff. Then slowly, Steve's died and you had people who wanted to carry on his his image and what he was about. And other people that was trying to go a different way trying to sound different to try to make it in music. Um, especially because the record label that they were on at the time, Cinematic, had different ideas for the group. Fast forward to 2015, Joey Badass's debut album, Before the Money, 
I love that album through and through and through. I can listen to that album from beginning to finish with no skips. Um, and then two years later, 2017, All American Badass. And then um, this album that Joey just dropped last week, man. Like, it's it's fire. Great so, album. Great, 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 great album. And, and but uh, 2000 is a sequel to 1999. He made an album and a sequel to the mixtape 10 years ago. Um, check out, check out, check out, uh, what is that track? Uh, Survivor's Guilt. It's my favorite track on the album going towards the end. But, um, yeah, man, Joe, it's crazy because you look at the rest of pro era, a lot of those guys are mixtape only rappers. They have no major albums and it's, it's crazy to me because it took one guy in the group to pass away for the group to just splinter off. Like. I don't know. I haven't heard new music from Dirty Sanchez, Rock a Mouth, Diamond Lewis, Ala Soul in, in a long time. I feel like it's just been Joey Badass and and and, and Nick Caution and, and CJ Fly and that's it. Nobody else is Chuck Strangers is producing, but and and Kirk Knight is producing, but nobody else is rapping. And it's even crazy to me because Kirk Knight only produced one track on that new album, which I I, I don't know, but but when it comes to guys who, who got out of the group and really did their thing, Joey Badass and Joey Badass is acting. He's been on that Wu Tang American saga uh, on Hulu series. Um, yeah, he's he appeared in NCIS. What's that? He was Inspector Deck. He plays Inspector Deck yeah. in the Wu Tang saga. Yeah, yeah he, so I mean, he played it for one season. He wasn't on season two, unfortunately. But even so, man, like. You know, like, two, it's, it's, my bad to cut you, but don't forget about Two Distant Strangers because he he won an Oscar for Two Distant Strangers on um Netflix. Yeah, and even that. So his career, like I hate to say it, but the rest of the guys in the group, most of them, they haven't gone anywhere. Joey Badass, and it's funny because when you look at how Pro Era was marketed in the very beginning, Johnny Shipes and Cinematic, they only wanted Joey. They didn't want the rest of the group. To Joey's credit. He said, well, I'm not signing if you don't bring the rest of the group. And even though they brought the rest of the group, Joey was always the focal point. I remember in in, in 2012, I went to a Pro Era concert, one of their first shows they ever did. And I'll never forget, I didn't think about it until years later, but they weren't billed as, the show wasn't billed as Pro Era. It was billed as Joey Badass in Pro Era. And... You know, I, I guess they the label realized that they had a star, or they knew who the star of the group was. But um, yeah, I think Joey Badass is is a good fit for you know rappers that started off in groups that you know had success and left the rest of the group behind because, like I said, the rest of them guys really haven't done much, if anything at all, on a major yeah. level. So yeah, he's a good fit, especially. You know, with the Power Book series, he does a great job in raising Canaan. I'm impressed with his acting ability. And like Rev alluded to with the two distant strangers, job well done. I mean, he's a he's a throwback guy for me. You know, when I heard, the, you know, the mixtape 1999, I became a fan. I was like, oh, man, this dude is rapping, rapping. So I was like, OK, definitely somebody to check out. And, you know, with his new, you know, with his new album, very, very, very good. You know, it was a long time coming because, you know, you know, we was waiting on that that uh, 2000 album. So for those that haven't heard it, please go check it out. And Rev, does it fit your criteria? 52 minutes, 56 seconds? It does. It's actually one of my favorite albums of this year. I can't lie. 
14 songs, man. Yeah. So shout out to Joey. <laughs> it just made it. <laughs> by, the, by the way, I'm mad at Joey because a couple years ago he said he was retired from making music. He did but say that. It just that. goes to show. Yeah. It, it, it does go to show, though. Nobody truly, especially if Jay Z's taught us anything, nobody retires. That's true. Nobody really retires from hip hop. <laughs> But, all right, Rev, we're on the last round. It's on you. All right, I'm going with one of your favorites, Lauren Hill. Lauren oh, Hill. Good Lord. <laughs> Former member of the Fugees who dropped two albums, Blunted on Reality and The Score, to very, very, very much critical acclaim. Had her pretty much amongst the top MCs. Your boy Kumal D had her the highest score out of all the MCs on his report card. And after that, she went solo. The world-renowned uh, group split between uh, her, Praz, and uh, Wyclef, of course, because they had the uh, the romance going on. And, you know, they try to be in the public saying it was uh, over business, but internally, we all know that it was personal. And after she dropped her album, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, which was um, actually named after a book that dropped in 1930, The Miseducation of Negroes, she actually won over 103 music awards, including eight Grammys and nine ASPCA awards. And her album was actually one of the highest selling albums ever in any genre. So it's hard to, like, to not say she was more successful on her own than the two solo albums, even though she just dropped one album, which I wish she would have came back with something else. But... I, I think she just needed a break from music or or something was going on which just deterred her from focusing on the craft itself. I mean, she's toured and she's done shows as Al knows and charged up to Yeah, her yeah, 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 and she and she don't and she show up 3 hours late, curses out the audience and don't perform, but she does shows all right. <laughs> and charges $500 for signed Polaroid pictures. But that's neither here nor there. Musically, we got to give it to her, man. She's one of the best ever. Not just female MCs, but just MCs. Period. Right. Her, her, her influence, her song creating, top of top level. It, it's it's hard to replicate that. There's not even many female MCs who come close to that, unfortunately. But she set the bar super high with one album, and I could say that she definitely had success. Um, post group, um, maybe even more. But before the group, before the Fuji's even formed, she was um had her heart in being an actress, and she was in Six Sister Act Two. She actually actually starred in an off uh, Broadway play that MC Light produced. So she had um she had her heart somewhere else, and then the music thing came along, and uh, she got success in that. But yeah, Lauren Hill, one of the goats, man, can't take it away from Al. Well, you can't. 10 million but, records but, sold. Not a lot of people could sell 10 million copies. She did that while she was alive and nominated for all those awards. So, got to give Lauren yeah, but, credit, but, man. She earned it. But she, but, but she only has one album, though. Can we say that she... I mean, I'll, 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 I'll admit this. She, 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 she's out... She's had way more success than Praz ever had. But why Clef? That's a different story, though. Would you I mean, guys agree? Granted, Wyclef never had 10 million record sales in one album, but Wyclef's been around for a while, and he's been yes, as a yes. producer and a, and a rapper. Yeah, Clef, Clef is successful as a producer and a rapper, but 
look at the barriers that Lauren had to overcome, especially being a woman. You know, she set records and she made it clear. You could be a female and still go toe-to-toe with the guys and still have success, even more success with the guys. The album, that miseducation was also part of the Library of Congress. You know what I mean? It's, yes, it's, 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 it's up there. So her, the standard was set so high that it's like, that's it. It peaked. Like, you can't, you can't top that. So even though Clef been a success, you got critical acclaim and you got overcritical acclaim and she got this she got something that a lot of people a lot of our favorites never got and probably never will so yeah laura hill safe to say especially all the nominations that she got like she was she she was able to be nominated for more she had 10 nominations she won five, including album of the year. How many of our favorites have ever won album of the year? Yeah, she said. Go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say I know the Colonel never won album of the year. She Definitely set the record, man. She set the standard, yo. Yeah, she had um at the time it was the record for most nominations at, at ten for the yeah. Grammy, and she yeah. won five of them. Yeah. Rev, I love you, bro, but you just made me grin my teeth. <laughs> Sorry, bro. It's all good. Oh, Lauren. And I still, Lauren, if you ever listen to this, I, I would like my either a, my $68 back or I would like to view a performance live in person. Your choice. Well, she, you can, you well, can decide. Well, she responded to you on the Nas album, so. She, she did, did not. She, no, 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 no. You got your answer on Kansas yep, City, was, too, man. You, you, you got yep, your answer on that Specifically album. towards you. <laughs> Yeah. That was funny. <sighs> I'm tired of that woman. But um, shout out to Miss Hill. My $68 with inflation from 11 years ago, probably about $83 right now. So, yeah. But moving on, uh, QG, your last pick. All right, I get to go home. Got Nori here. That's right, Mr. N O R E, mm. Noriega. Yeah, yeah, my guy, man. Shout out to Noriega. Shout out to DJF and shout out to Drink Champs. But moving on from that, obviously, for those that don't know, Nori started in a group, Capone and Noriega. Shout out to Capone, Queensbridge Legend. Nori is from Left Rack. Shout out to everybody from Iraq. I used to work out there. And, you know, obviously, linking with Capone, now you got a group, you know. So he was brought over and he was respected out in Queensbridge. And they came out with a huge, huge classic album called The War Report in 1997. It's a game-changing album. And I want to shout out my guy, Gary. I mean, Gary Critchlow, he listens to this show. And he's a big opponent Noriega fan. So with the success of that album, and again, you could, you could pick your poison. You could go with LALA. You could go with Illegal Life. You could go with TONY. You could go with all the different records from the group. So this is a group. Capone goes to jail. He gets locked up and he's doing a bid. He's going to be away for a long time. So what is Nori supposed to do? This is 1997 going into 98. And now Nori decides to go solo. And he comes out with an album N-O-R-E, which is an acronym. Well, in hip hop, it's a backronym and it stands for niggas on the run eating. And this album goes platinum real, real fast. And once again, 
Banned from TV. Huge posse cut. Super Thug, which is one of the biggest, most number one tracks in the world. This helped put the Neptunes on the map. The Neptunes ate off this because this helped them establish themselves as producers. And you, the title track of the album, N-O-R-E, you know, you got that record. You got so many different songs on here. And for it to go platinum, it just established Nori as a solo act. And in 1999, he comes out with Melvin Flint, the hustler. And it, it went gold, certified. It's got the song, Oh No. And then, you know, it, it just it just blew up after that. The group does come back together when Capone comes out of jail. And they come with the reunion album, and that had some success. But Nori stayed working on solo songs. He was doing features as well. And God's Favorite comes out in 2002 with another Neptune's track called Nothing, which is a big single. And it's actually his highest charting hit nothing so uh of course later on he goes into the reggae tone you know we all talked about that with oimi kanto and that was a big record for him you know uh then he was with rock life familiar for a bit then he came out with no reality in 2007 i actually have that album no reality <laughs> with the song throw under the bus with jadakiss and corrupt and you know i i like nori and uh you know then he came out with uh Student of the Game in 2009, he came out with Nori Part 2, which, you know, Born Again, and it's, you know, he stayed consistent with a successful podcast, you know, show, Drink Champs, which is which is number one, and shout out to them, but, you know, Nori, Nori did his thing, and he held Capone down, he actually gave Capone executive producing credit on his solo albums, because Capone's life never sold, Capone got some money off that, so. Shout out to North for being true and being loyal. And not to mention, a lot of the younger folks, the, the new generation, they don't even know Nori is the rapper. They know him as the podcaster. Shout out to Drink Champs. Right. That's my man, Nori. Shout out for Nori. Shout out to Nori for getting Patty LaBelle liquored up. <laughs> yeah, he had Aunt Patty on the show, man. You know, Nori is well respected. You know, and and it's great that he could bring in people to come on to the show and he got to work with so many different established artists. You know, he worked with Nas, he worked with pun, you know, Nori is Nori and he's a ball full of energy. When you hear Noriega, you could actually hear Noriega talk because he's, <laughs> he's that loud. Tragedy Gaddafi called him a stereo one time because he's so loud, but Nori, he's a, he's a, he's a true gem in hip hop. My my question to you, because I'm not assured, did Capone ever have a solo career? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, eventually, you know, when he got out of jail, you know, it took time. He actually has to do an album out now with my uh, with my with my designated twin cousin, Daz Dillinger. They actually have an album out right now. Shout out to shout out to Capone. But Capone's uh, first solo album actually came out in uh, 2005. On Fast Life Records, it was called Pain, Time, and Glory. Obviously, the sales weren't there, but Capone is a respected MC. He, he's one of Queensbridge owns, so you know, Capone does get his does get his props. But him and Nori, they always held each other down. So he doesn't have a, as many albums as Noriega, obviously, but 
Capone is still Capone, and he still does his appearances. He still gets his respect. Gotcha, gotcha. Shout-outs to Nori. Uh, I guess it's up to me to, to wrap things up. And uh, I reference this guy all the time, but I never talk about his music until now. But I'm going with Pusha T. Um, and I know I, 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 I commonly say, uh, you know, certain guys, they suffer from Pusha T syndrome, which is people who make all these different songs all about the same thing, talk about the same thing a million different ways. But Pusha T, of course, him and his brother Malice from Virginia, members of the Clips. Everybody knows the Clips because we all used to uh, bang on the lunchroom table and do the grinding beat <laughs> when we were in school. Shout out to and, Picasso. Um, he always did that. Mike Picasso always did that in St. John's Pro. Speaking of Mike Picasso, shout out to Mike Picasso for blessing us with the with the new theme song. Uh, definitely uh, hit us up and let us know what y'all think about that. Uh, you know, Picasso really blessed us. But um, but yeah, but Push, you know, he, he came. So, you know, the clips ended because Malice found religion. I don't even know why he went through a name change because he stopped rapping. I uh, went to No Malice. And, you know, the Clips had a couple of hits. They had Grinding. They had Mr. Me Too. They had Womp Womp, what it do. But um, Pusha T uh, established a, a pretty decent solo career. Um, went to He got signed by Kanye to Good Music. Um, he dropped one of my favorite uh, Pusha T solo albums, Fear of God 2. And uh, My Name is My Name. Two solid albums that I really, really enjoy. And, um... Pusha T, as much as I hate to admit it, because y- y'all know I'm a huge Drake fan, but he even won a beef and bodied Drake. So, I mean, Pusha T's definitely had uh, solo success. I mean, when you look at him and his brother, his brother's never done anything solo-wise, at least not to my knowledge. So, um, But when you look at Pusha T versus the Clips, I got to say Pusha T did well for himself because, you know, the Clips was done after, like, what, 2009, 10? And Push mm-hmm. is still out here going strong as we speak. So sure is. I just, my, I love Pusha. I think he's a talented rapper. I just wish he would talk about something more than just Coke. But Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's funny because, you know, he does get respect from his peers. He does get respect from other rappers. But like you said, the Pusha T syndrome, when you listen to a Pusha T album, you know exactly what you're going to hear. It could be the hottest beat in the world. Somehow, some way, in his verse... <laughs> You're gonna hear coke about selling drugs. So. Yep, unfortunately. But uh, like I said, Pusha T, he's had uh, like I said, he's had a couple good albums under his belt. Like I said, um, my name is my name, and Fear of God too. Two of my uh, two of my favorite albums, especially Trouble on my. I'm not a Tyler the Creator fan at all, but when you could get me to sit down and listen to a a, a verse from Tyler. That tells you something, because Trouble on My Mind is my favorite Pusha T song, solo song. Yeah, because uh, the King Push um, Darkest Before Dawn, the prelude, that really made me a fan. When I heard that album, I was like, oh, man, because I heard My Name is My Name, but I didn't really absorb it. But then when the second album came out, I said, OK, yeah, this this here, like that was the one right there for me, the second album. Well, no, that's the third. Um, Fear of God 2 is the first one. My name is my name was not the first one. No, that's the second. His solo album. Fear of God, Fear of God Two was in uh 2011. 
You know, I got a funny story about that album. You sure about that? You know, because my name, my name is my name is in 2013. That's listed as his first solo. Really? Hold on. Let's yeah, uh, touch the Google machine. So yeah. what is Fear of God 2 then? Sounds like a mixtape. Well, Fear of God 1 Fear is a mixtape. Fear of God. Oh, this is according to Wikipedia. Fear of God 2, Let Us Pray, is the major record label debut. Expo. Oh, it's, it's, it's an EP. It counts as an EP. It's a Wait a minute, how is that how is that an EP when it's twelve songs? Man. Rev Rev, you gotta get your criteria, Rev, and talk to these people. They be they be rewriting the wall, man. I don't get it. You're right. Twelve songs. Wait. It's not twelve songs in forty five minutes. Is it because of the length of the album? Well, it's forty five minutes. Nah. I don't know. I don't Under know. your criteria, how, how long? How, how long is an album, Rev? <laughs> in your criteria? Well, an album is definitely more than um, nine songs, and it has to be over forty minutes. So yeah, that's a double digit song. A, well, Rev, you you need to you need to talk to the people who who make these decisions. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's our list. So um. If, if any of you out there that are listening, raplabpod at gmail.com and uh, let us know who you like that started out in the group. If you if you thought the group was better or the, or the artist solo-wise was better, uh, let us know. Uh, QG, you want to do us a favor and, and tell the people what we got coming up in two weeks? Yes, yes. Definitely tell you guys what's coming up. We, you know, we definitely got some news topics for you guys. You know, we're going to pull out what's going on and um, let you know what's going on as far as in the hip-hop world. You know, we have more discussions coming through for y'all. And we definitely want y'all to send us your emails, too. Like Andy Man said, at the Rap Lab Pod at Gmail. Check out our social media. Check out the Rap Lab Podcast on social media. Check it out on YouTube. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You're going to get previews of the next coming up topics because we're hearing it from you guys, the public. We appreciate all the info you guys giving us and whatever you give us we put out there you know we listen to y'all you know we make tweak it here and there but we take all suggestions well two weeks from from today's episode we got another um another uh listener suggested um topic we're talking about remixes and what was better the original song or the remix uh that comes from amari from houston texas so shout outs to you Um, so yeah uh, what we're going to do, we're going to try something new. So if you have a question or a general comment about, you know, songs that had remixes, send them on over and we'll read about three or four of them uh, at the end of the episode. So make sure oh, you send that again. Oh, oh, off top, you know, the horse and carriage remix is going to come from Candyman. So just oh, just be prepared, God. Rev. Just be prepared. Rev. Oh, is, is, that be- <laughs> is that because Silk the Shocker is on it? I'm just warning you right now, Rev. It's, it's, it's going to come up, man. Here we go. I might have to put him on Eric Sermon. <laughs> oh, somebody get somebody cue the organ music. Oh, oh man. But uh, this has been another episode of the Rap Lab, and we'll catch you with the news next week. And uh, shout out to our newest correspondent, Bucky Majors, who I'm sure will will be around next week. Uh, All right, another episode of the Rap Lab, and we out. Peace. You're now tuned into the Rap Lab podcast. Yeah. The Rap Lab. Uh, the Rap Lab. Yeah. The Rap Lab. Rap Lab. Rap Lab. Rap Lab. Man. The Rap Lab. Yeah. The 
rap lab, the rap lab. Let's go. The rap lab, the rap lab, the rap lab. Come see what we cooking up at. The rap lab, the rap lab, the rap lab. Ball for ball, we hooking up with T O Q G, Rev Barber MC, A L S R E to the D on that M I C A to Z, we be the flyers. Hip hop sound broke down to a science. The rap lab, the rap lab, the rap lab. Come see what we cooking up at. The rap lab, the rap lab, the rap lab.